My name is Tom Quirk. I'm living at Ian Cannell Court, which is a sheltered housing for ex-servicemen. I was born in the Isle of Man, and uh, I was actually a farmer's son, along with uh, four other brothers and a sister. Mother left home when I was 10, never to return. And <laughs> of course, we ended up in the children's home for not going to school. And there was only one future for uh, the children's home kids. Girls went into nursing, boys went into the services. And I was in the Navy in Scotland. But I was inspired to go in the Navy by the boys from HMS St. George. Uh, we, we were living halfway between Hilbury and Brandish Corner and half past seven in the morning, in a dark morning, we could see sparks at Hilbury Corner. Wondered what it was. So my brother and I dashed out and it was the Navy pulling a field gun up the hill at the double and swinging a lamp and they had a, a chief pushing his bicycle behind them. And we used to run behind them and the chief used to say, get out of it and swing his whistle, whistle chain. When we got to Craignabar, of course, they, they broke up and they sat down. They opened up the limber at the back and got sandwiches out and, and pop. And uh, we sat on the hedge and the chief came over and gave us, he gave us some breakfast. So that was your first introduction to, to the Navy was a field gun somewhere in the Isle of Man, which is, right. is a bit sort of random. What were they doing? Were they, were they just sort of practising with it? Or? Well, it, that's, that's how they keep fit as well. Yeah. And uh, doubling all, running all the way up to Craig and the Bar and then having uh, something to eat, and then all the way back. Gosh. It was quite interesting. And I thought, ah, I'd like to do that. <laughs> so what so, age were you when you actually joined the Navy? Fifteen and three months. Gosh, it's so young, isn't it, when you think now? Yeah, it is, yes. Yes, went up to uh, East Nook of Fife, which is uh, Crail, and there was boys' training establishment there, and uh, it was oh, bitter cold. <laughs> no, no dragging field guns up and down hills then. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so, did you know much about what you were actually getting yourself in for then when you joined up? Yes, I did really because uh, I took an interest after I'd seen the St George boys. And remind us what year this was when you actually joined up. Um, 1948, I joined up. So you'll have heard, you know, the stories about the Second World War, obviously, and, and that, that, but that didn't put you off at all? No, no. Um, I decided I wasn't going to join the Army, though, that's mm -hmm. for sure. Um, but the Navy was for me, you know. You, t you take your house with you, you know. <laughs> that's whereas a really the, good way of looking at it. the Army carry it on the back and the Air Force go home every night. <laughs> and do you think you were maybe in it, sort of in a bit of a, a better position coming from the island, being surrounded by the sea, probably feeling a bit more comfortable with the water anyway? Yes, yes, yes. 
I think the majority during the war, um, the men from the Isle of Man were picked for the Navy because there were fishermen and mm-hmm. there were coasters. And, but the, the one thing that uh, really those boys um, that I knew, 1941, and uh, when I joined the Navy, I, I then found out the history of what happened. Mm-hmm. They were all dead before 1942. Gosh. Because they went straight from training to the big ships. I mean, you must have had a lot of friends and family around that time then that, that were potentially lost. in. That's in the, right, yeah. yes. All those boys that I saw running up to Craignabar were dead. It was that really brought us home that what we were in, you know, a war. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, I was on the ship with those that had lost brothers and the likes. There was 10 went from the Isle of Man in, in the forces for the Korean War. Mm-hmm. I think there's three of us left now. So let's come to that then, because we we hear a lot about you know what was called the Great War, and then we hear you know we hear plenty about the Second World War as well. But as you say, you you fought in the Korean War, which is often called the Forgotten War. Um, started in 1950, and in fact, when we were sort of communicating in advance of this interview, you suggested it may as well have been known as the Third World War. That's right. Yes. But it's not often talked about. That's right. It wasn't reported either, and there was the only way that anybody in uh, the Isle of Man got any information was Pathy News in the cinema. It's the only time they had any report about the Korean War. But they used to send me the examiner every week. You'd get the examiner to the ship? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, they, they never sent the parcel post up the coast of Korea when we were up there for a month. They used to keep the parcel post, which was the newspapers, and when we got back into Japan for uh, our fortnight off, um, we had the mail came in and it was quirk, quirk, examiners, quirk. <laughs> <laughs> and the ones, the lads who didn't get mail, they, they shouted, quirky, give us one. And so they, used, they'd find out about the Isle of Man. <laughs> that's right. I threw, threw one and of course somebody would shout, I've got one, I've got one. So let's let's come back to what the the war itself then, because it was between it was sort of the North and South Korea divide, wasn't it? Korea was one yeah. nation uh, prior to the Second World War. The Japanese had been in Korea for well since nineteen hundred and one, so they were all Japanese occupied from nineteen hundred and one, and the United Nations, the end of the uh, nineteen forty five war. The Koreans were split off from the Japanese and liberated by the Americans and the Commonwealth. That then formed North and South Korea. Hmm. And uh, Stalin, of course, he was still there. And uh, he decided to take over the North. And uh, he built them up with Russian... uh, In fact, there was Russian planes... In the, in the Korean War, uh, and sabre jets from the Yanks. So the worst thing in the Korean War was the napalm, and it turned the snow black. Mm. 
and uh, stuck on everybody, you know. Gosh, and that, that's the one thing that I think, you know, if, if anyone does know a huge amount about it, you know, a lot of it is because it, it's known as being a really awful, awful war and the conditions oh, yes. must have been so difficult out there. Yes, I mean, it was freezing, 20 below zero, which was like, I say, cold. Yeah. And when we went up the coast of Korea, we were always in the north and it was freezing every night, the sea froze. And the first night up, our captain was un- inexperienced, and of course, um, we dropped anchor, and uh, the ship then got jammed in the ice, and with our broadside facing shore. And the first night we were there, we had a shell, which was a big lump of iron, come across the ice, spinning. And it hit the side of the ship oh, and just rang it like a bell. <laughs> that was the last time the skipper went sideways on to the shore. After that, we made sure the nose was pointing in so that he couldn't hit the side of the ship, you know. I mean, you talk about him as being, you know, perhaps a bit green and, you know, sort of a bit wet under the collar, but... I, I, most of you mustn't have known a huge amount about the region before you got there and we what you were actually... We didn't know anything about it. We didn't know where it was. Yeah. We were travelling and travelling, took the ship out from England and uh, we were going on and on and on to Singapore and Hong Kong and where is it? <laughs> there was no news, intentionally no news, you know, because it was the Third World War, really. All the communist nations got together against the the South. So the South, of course, had to get support from the Americans mainly, but uh, Commonwealth were all there. So just describe that that for me. What you're wearing, that medal. This medal is uh, uh, United Nations. It's for the Battle of Gapyong, which was. Uh, right across the waist of Korea. And uh, it was quite a battle. All the nations that took part are commemorated on this medal. So, <laughs> And it's wonderful to see you wearing it now, obviously with pride. But, I, I, you know, I, I wonder as well, not just not knowing much about the region itself when you went out there, but did, did you know anything about what, what you were actually going out there for before you got no, there? No, not really. We didn't get that sort of information. Um, the news was intentionally kept from us. And really, I suppose it was, nobody wanted to say it's the Third World War. But it was really. So what was your sort of part in it then? Because you're talking about the fact you were just sort of off the coast there and in ice, you know, sort of stationed yeah. off the coast. There. T- tell us a bit about what your role was out there. Well, we were support for anyone, and there was uh, several uh, pilots were shot down in the water, um, both the North Koreans and South, and uh, we used to go rescue them. And uh, we've got one famous case in there that uh, it was late at night, it was rough, cold, 
and it was so cold that big four-inch horses' ropes, uh, when they got under strain, they just snapped. Uh, three of our lads got frostbite because of that. When they they had gloves on, they they stuck to the gloves stuck to the horse, and they had nothing on their hands, so they got frostbite. And we had to lasso them because they couldn't do anything with their fingers and pull them inboard down to the sick bay. And um, there was an American uh, landing craft came alongside and they decided to, to go in to the aircraft that was in the water, five crew aboard, and they just smashed the wing off and got them into the landing craft and the aircraft sank straight away. So they were just in time, basically. Yes, and we we had, we we thought actually, we lost that, but we we learned later that um, they all survived. But the the, yeah. the the war itself, I mean, it's it, as I said, it's known as being a particularly harsh and quite gruesome war, and. I think I think I've got some figures here that there was some five million soldiers and civilians lost their lives. As you said, America played a big part. Forty thousand Americans died. The peninsula still divided today, yeah, obviously, right. and yeah. there's, there's an awful lot going on over there. And when you think about the situation over there now, when you think of what the men out there did, do you ever sort of think, "Gosh, was it worth it?" Then, uh, yes, it was worth it. And I went out in. 2013, on a free holiday given by the South Koreans to all who have fought for them. And when you saw little kids, you know, <laughs> coming to the vet, the veterans, us, we had a tag around our neck, Korean War veteran, and the children used to come up, our worshippers. So all the children graduating in, in the schools got £500 to start them off. That was from our fund. And of course now there is, uh, they're about fifth in the world, the rank about fifth in the world for wealth, South Korea, which is quite some achievement. They got everybody housed after the war in high-rise blocks uh, with running water and, and all the rest of it. Because the whole country was devastated mm -hmm. completely during the war, now, uh, in 2013 when I went over, they were building uh, little bungalows around the bottom of the high-rise buildings and pulling the high-rise buildings down and making a, a nice little circle of bungalows. Uh, the shipping industry, Hyundai, is uh, biggest in the world, registered in Douglas. Alex Downey went over and did that. Other firms, LG, and there's a thriving country. So, yes, it was worth it. Can you picture what it may have been like if if the forces hadn't been out there to support the South? What what do you think might have happened to the oh, country? Oh, it would have been just another communist state. The communists had the idea at that time of the domino effect, uh, just knocking small places down 
all the way around. You know, it's so. an incredible thing that that you're part of. It really was, and yeah. and you, you brought in some wonderful photos in that book and everything. You know, sort of of your time out there. And uh, there was a photo in particular you showed me of um, some children in an orphanage because yes, that's yes. something you supported, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, the Commonwealth uh, ships. All every time they came up to relieve another one, they went to the orphanage and fed them and anything for the kids. You know. Did you leave them an examiner? (laughs) (laughs) Plenty of them. (laughs) So did you actually make land very much while you were out there or did you pretty much remain on the ship? No, I remained at sea for the month. The first time I set foot on South Korea was in 2013. So until that time, you'd you'd never actually been to South Korea? No. Gosh, that must have been quite a moment. Yes, it was. Because all we'd seen prior to that was pictures Path News showed the pictures. Devastation. It was nightmare to be fighting in the ice and snow. Mm-hmm. And having to live. They couldn't dig a hole even. They had to have, I get blocks, you know, sent out to them. Blocks and build a little hut. I'm glad I wasn't in the army. So while you were there, you you didn't really know a huge amount about what was happening to the the chaps that were on land and, and no, what they no. were going through. No, no, we got it on Path and News, but um, that was after the event. Mm-hmm. So you said it at the start of our our chat. You were saying how you know you thought that the navy might have been the right place for you, and it clearly was because you became <laughs> the chairman of the Royal Naval Association, <laughs> didn't you? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> So when you finished uh, your, your service out in Korea, where did, what happened then? What what was next for you after that? Well, uh, I did. I, I went to Suez. Um, Suez crisis was a long drawn out affair. They had a bit of a war early on in um, the fifties. When I was there in nineteen fifty six, it was more or less uh, monitoring that it wasn't going to flash up again, you know. Mm-hmm. So what would you say is one of your most sort of poignant memories, I suppose, for, from, from your time in service? Uh, really, it educated me, educated me. I, I came from the children's home and on my training in, in the Scotland, the schoolmaster called me out on the first day we were in school and said, Quirk, you're a long way behind the rest. And I said, well, I could never manage to do fractions. And he said, well, I'll give you extra work if you'll do it in the evenings. He said, I was at Balakameen during the war. <laughs> Lieutenant Bridges, one of my significant men, because not only did I catch up with the rest, I overtook them. So that educated me. And did you remain in contact with many of the chaps that you were in Korea with when you were out there? Still do. Every year we have a reunion. I think in the Korean War there's about five of us left. Older than me, one of them. Uh, So we still go on. And we're meeting again next May. And you certainly keep yourself busy because you put out a newsletter, don't you? Oh, yes, yes. Well, it was three a year. And the next one is Christmas. Uh, I'm always on the lookout. 
my flat is like a newspaper office. Papers here, there and everywhere. So... <laughs> And obviously, one of the reasons why we're, we're, we're talking to you this morning is, is to, to sort of give some sort of idea of what gentlemen like yourself, people like yourself, women like yourself went through in these times of really extreme wars. I mean, the Great War was called the Great War for a reason. You talk oh, yes, about this yeah. being, you know, the Forgotten World War, the Third World War in a way. Oh. You all gave so much. In this time of remembrance, what sort of words would you like to leave people with to have uh, thinking? It's really, the First World War was said to be lions led by donkeys. And when you can think, what on earth was the point of fighting over a field of mud just to get to the other side? You could have gone round. But uh, in those days they had horses and the number of horses that died in the First Mm. World War there's a special memorial to them, simply mm. because of the uh, carnage there was. It was a ridiculous war. And I've recently put up um, posters in Ian Cannell Court, and it's about the atom bomb and what the Americans said. And of course, it's the Daily Mail reporting on the atom bomb, and it said, the end of the Army, Navy, Air Force, we won't need them anymore because we have the bomb. And uh, of course, the kid quickly came to realise that you do need them because nobody's going to use the bomb. And if anybody does, there's going to be no future for anybody. And actually, the skipper who, who was on the Enola Gay it was called, the aircraft. He said when he dies, he wants his ashes scattering into space so that nobody can go to his grave and ransack it and whatever. So that's what happened. It's another perfect example, isn't it, of, again, the, the lengths that, that people have gone to in order to protect the rest of us, you know. That's sort right, of. yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it is clearly so incredibly important that as we come to this time, we do always remember them, isn't it? Oh, yes, yes. Awful. Don't recommend it. <laughs> well said. It's been a pleasure speaking with you this morning. Thank you so much for taking the time. That's a pleasure to be here. <laughs>